Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Hey, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. And uh, you came on a fun Sunday. You really did. This is our last Sunday of our year and whatever uh, weeks. And next week's going to be our two-year anniversary. And um, this, this journey has been amazing. It has been the most fulfilling thing Rachel and I ever did. Uh, the most fun thing we've ever done, but also the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, tears, anxiety, stress, you name it. Uh, but one of the sweetest things throughout this journey of the peaks and valleys is this the people you meet. Uh, you're not supposed to do life alone. Man, it's, it's so much better when you actually meet people and you go, man, like, I, I want to run life with this person. I want to I um, call them on a hard day. I want to uh, also call them on a good day. And, and so when we plan the church, um, one of the things that we decided to do before we plan a church is go check out other churches. And check out churches with uh, people we respected and people that say, hey, you got to go check this person out. And so before we planned our church, we went to San Francisco and visited Sozo Church. Uh, Jason Lair, the senior pastor there. Come on now. Uh, Sozo, if you're wondering what that word means, means salvation. It's one of the coolest church names on the planet. Um, and so uh, I, I checked out the church, uh, met Jason afterwards and uh, asked him if we could connect for coffee. And, um, and then, of course, we got lunch. And uh, there's just something that happens uh, on this journey. God, God really does, I feel like, send friends and send people to cheer you on. And when you meet another church planner, it's like this weird, like, you get me. Did you cry last night too? Yeah, I cried last night. <laughs> you feel a little anxious? Yeah, me too. Should we just hold each other? Yes, let's just hold each other. And so, and so we, uh, we got coffee, and then we got lunch, and then we went golfing, and that's when we knew we took it to the next levels when you go golfing with somebody. And so we went golfing, and so Jason and I have been friends for a handful of years now. I'm just so thankful for Jason. And uh, something I love about our house is that we don't have just people coming, we have family come in. And, uh, and when family comes in, man, we treat them like family. Uh, and something else I just got to tell you about is there are people that you go, man, I, I want to be their friend, but also there's people, man, I want to learn from and respect. Uh, Jason is a man of character. He's a family, uh, a family of five. He's a great father. Married for 15 years. I've been married seven, so he's basically ran the lap twice already. <laughs> Teach me. Help me. Uh, and so I'm just so thankful Jason's in my life. Can you guys give it up for Mr. Pastor Jason Laird? Come on. Come on, why don't we give Jesus our best praise? Come on, let's give him our best praise. Take a moment, church. Yeah. Um, how many of you, you love your senior pastors? Um, that was a good spot for you right there. You could just make some noise. But I got to tell my side of this story. I, uh, how many love it when people do that? When someone says one thing, you're like, I want to hear the other side of the story. Um, here's why I love uh, your pastors. Um, a couple years ago, I... Uh, I had a meeting with this this guy that I was I was really wanting to to connect with this guy really bad. I just wanted the, there to be a friendship and a relationship there, and so um, I pursued ha- like making this connection for a little while. And uh, when I finally had lunch with this particular guy, it just it just it, there was no chemistry there. It's the best way, nicest way I can say it. There was just no chemistry there, and like I'm just trying to like you know win this person over and just you know. And we finished the conversation, we finished the lunch, and afterwards, you know. Usually you finish a lunch or something, you give somebody a hug or a high five. Hey, we got to do this again. We both looked at each other like it was so awkward. It was like, do we hug? Do we handshake? Like it was like, and just like walk off, you know. And I got in my car and I just was like, man, come on, God, I just want to be friends with this person. I want, you know. And and fast forward like a day or two later, um, I get a call from this guy the nicest human on the planet, by the way. And he's like, hey, let's grab lunch. So I come over here 
to, to Walnut Creek and, um, and we have lunch for the first time. And you would have thought we were like 13 year old girls, just like back and forth talking, just like, oh my gosh, you too, me too. You know, hours later, you know, the, the previous lunch with this other guy, it was like, can we get out of here, you know, faster than, you know, our allotted time. We end up meeting for like hours and we're like, hey, you wanna, he looked at me and said, you want to come back tomorrow? Let's do this again. <laughs> <laughs> and so we finished lunch, we finished lunch, and we just had so many things in common. We finished lunch, and, and Pastor Tyler goes, hey, let me walk you to your car. And I'm like, okay, totally night and day difference from the previous meeting I had, right? We're walking towards my car, and he just stops. He goes, is that your Jeep right there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I drive a Jeep. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. I... I uh, I get, in my, I get in my Jeep, and I'm driving back over the bridge, and this was, God's honest truth, this is my thought. Um, I don't want to waste time and energy on people that God has not called me to be in relationship with. I want to spend my time, my energy, my resources in relationships that are divine flow connections. And that's how I feel about your pastors. I feel, I feel so blessed, and I mean that. That is not a canned uh, introduction to whatever when you travel and speak. I mean those words. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for your wife. Thank you for being amazing friends to us, amazing pastors to us. You guys are blessed. You got amazing pastors, and uh, it is an honor to get to be here uh, today just to see what God is doing here. I was here last year, and it was good, but it wasn't this good. Like, you guys are going from glory to glory to glory. You're getting better and better. Turn to your neighbor and say, you just look better. You look better today. You do. You look better than you did last week. You do. You look better. Um, there's a statement I heard that said this. It said, when, when, when your memories are bigger than your dreams, the end is near. And for the last two years, God has done some amazing things. Come on, guys. A thousand people have said yes to Jesus. A thousand. And 950 are getting baptized March 8th. In faith, I prophesy that. Your memories are unbelievable. Make no mistake about it. But the dreams... The vision, where you're going, your best days are in front of you. There are more services, there are more locations, there are more souls to be saved, more marriages to be restored, more prodigals to come home. Listen to me, your greatest days are in front of you. And I'm so grateful that I just get to be a pastor in this region to see the handiwork of God, the divine creator, stirring something up in this region. And guess what? You're on the front lines. You're leading the way. You're leading the way in your serve and your compassion and your generosity and your hospitality. You are leading the way. And I mean it with all my heart. Thank you for letting me be a part of this today. And I'm believing God's going to speak to you today. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter number three. That's in the Old Testament. If you don't know where that's at, go to the table of contents. If you don't know where that's at, we're going we're gonna to pray for you at the end of service. So. I, said, I never know where any scriptures are. I'm like, I know where the table of contents are in Jesus' name, you know. <clears throat> but go to Proverbs chapter 3. And before we jump there, I, I do want to recognize just a couple of people that are here today and then introduce you to my family. Uh, Bob and Teresa right over here. Uh, they're some of my, my dearest friends there. Uh, actually, Teresa is one of the first people I met when I'm, we moved to San Francisco. Her son said, there's a church planner in, in San Francisco. You got to go meet this guy. She like, we like get on the phone together and she's like, I think I'm supposed to help you start this church. And Bob and Teresa have become dear friends of ours. And I uh, love you so much. Thank you for being here today. And then, uh, come on, you can clap your hands for them. Part of our small group. And uh, 
And then my best friends in the house, Matt Laborde. Matt works for, uh, for ARC, Association of Related Churches. It's a church planning organization uh, that you guys are actually a part of. You're a member of that, that, that family there, that tribe. And uh, really, it's just one focus. We just plant churches. We assess, uh, we assess church planners. We train them. We resource them. We say, hey, God's put that dream in your heart. We're going to help that dream become a reality. And we send them out to plant life-giving churches just like this. And do you know that, it's, uh, that you're giving? Whenever you give, you guys, you're sowing into that movement. And next Sunday, check this out. Next Sunday, we will break the 900 mark. We've planted 900 churches in North America. 900 churches just like this. Not just like this. This one's better than those, but similar to this. Matter of fact, during worship, I thought, I think I may resign from my church. I'm coming over here with you, bro. This is unbelievable. You guys are amazing. Um, but I want to also introduce you to my family really quick. They couldn't be here. Uh, they're over at our, our uh, campus, over our campus, Mission San Francisco, I guess, right there, huh? They're over at our church in San Francisco, and uh, they really wish they could be here. Maybe next time, whenever we're here, I'll bring them. But I do have a picture. This gives me street credibility right here. This is my wife, Jennifer. That was the effect I was going for. Last service, they need Jesus. Now y'all just yelling, oh. But my wife, Jennifer, we've been, uh, we've been married now. Uh, in May will be 15 years. Yeah. She's proof. She's proof that God still does miracles. And so if you're here, you're single, you're scoping and you're hoping, hey. I'm telling you right now, there's a grace on this house. Just keep, keep looking. Serve until you find somebody. Um, so anyway, we've been, we've been married now for 15 years, started dating 20 years ago in junior high. Uh, she, I remember the first time I saw her, she had brown, long hair, braces, and she's so cute. And so I went over there to check out this girl because, you know, I heard the most beautiful woman to ever be at this school uh, was there. So I thought I should introduce her to the best looking man on campus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Myself. And so I, I, I show up there, I see her, and man, I'm just trying to, I, w I, started, I started like rhyming while I was talking to her. I was like head over, well, I almost said head over heels. That would be weird. But I, I was like, just like enamored by her beauty. And I started like, like rhyming and then rapping and singing like lyrics from Usher. Like you make me want to leave the one I'm with, start a new relationship. Is it crazy? <laughs> Some of you are too young to know what, what I'm talking about. So anyway, uh, that's another sermon. So she turns around to walk away, and I remember hearing something called a super kick, super step, where when someone takes a step, you lightly kick the bottom of their foot, and it makes them take a big step. It's kind of awkward. And I just thought, why not? I'm desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> she starts to walk away. I kick her foot, and she trips in front of all these students. Junior high, junior high students are brutal, too, you know? And there, it's like an audience around, and she falls face first, and her braces busted her lips. And I ran. I just, I ran that day. <laughs> she fell in love, and it was, it was unbelievable. And uh, so we've been married now for a while. And then we started having kids. Well, actually, in 2004, I flew to Milan, Italy, and she was there on a mission trip. She didn't know I was going there, and I surprised her, proposed to her. She said yes to the dress. And uh, then a few years later, we started making babies, because that's what you do. And uh, so we have our 10-year-old right here, Liam. Uh, he's amazing, loves Jesus. He's a great little athlete. Uh, football player, just started playing baseball. We were working on his pitching yesterday. He's great. Then the youngest boy over there, he's, uh, his name is Nixon. He's my creative. He's a little crazy, a little whimsical, a little wild. My mom says that I'm reaping all that I sowed as a young man through Nixon. That's, that's, that's him, but he loves Jesus. And then this is the newest addition, Novi Sophia. She's eight months old. Do you, have, do you have one more picture up there? I mean, look at this. Unbelievable. All right. 
Street credibility. Is there credibility now? Okay, great. Awesome. All right, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's dive into this. I'm going to share just, a, just really a simple thought. Hopefully, it'll, it will help you today. Uh, hopefully, you came ready to receive uh, from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs 3. If you don't have a Bible, they'll put it on the screen. Make sure you take notes today. Uh, they're going to check your notes in heaven, and so that'll determine the size of your house. So... Uh, that's bad theology. Proverbs 3, here we go. The sage, the wise sage, he says this. Trust in the Lord with just a part of your heart. No. Trust in the Lord with, somebody say it with me, all of your heart. All of your heart. Trust God. Trust him. Trust him. All of your life. Every area. Do not depend or rely on your own understanding. It doesn't say don't think for yourself. It doesn't say don't use your mind. God gave you a mind. Actually, to love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your strength. But he says just don't rely on it. Like, don't make your decision where you're just relying on your own education, your own experience, your own wisdom. Say, like, don't do that. He says, instead, I want you to seek his will in all you do, in all you do, in every area of your life. Seek his will. Seek God's will. And look at this. Here's the promise. And he will show you which path to take. I want to speak to you for just a few moments today on this topic, this subject, seeking God's will, seeking God's will. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into this for just a few moments. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm the guy you want to come over for Thanksgiving and pray, okay? Um, what do I mean when I say God's will? Maybe you're new to the church scene. Maybe this is a fresh environment for you. And you've never kind of been around churchy people or Christians or religious people or whatever. And maybe this is a new, new kind of thing for you. And you're like, what does that mean, God's will? Uh, when the scripture talks about God's will, uh, God's will simply means his plan, as Drake would say. His plan, God's plan. Some of you are like, pop culture reference? I don't know what that is. But anyway, talk to your kids. Um, God's will is about God's plan, God's preference, God's desire, what he wants. How many know that there's things that we want, but there's, sometimes that doesn't align with what he wants? Sometimes we have a preference, we have a proclivity or propensity towards certain things and a desire for certain things, but sometimes it's just not in alignment with what God wants. And so the scripture tells us to seek what God wants, to seek God's will in every area of our life, not just our spirituality, not just one area, not just our Sundays, but our Mondays and our Thursdays and our finances and our sexuality and our relationships and our marriage. He says, seek my will in every detail of your life. I want you to do that. Um, here, here's the thing that I know about this topic. This is an important topic. You, maybe you didn't call it seeking God's will, but maybe you said it something like this. I just want to know, like, what's, what's God's purpose for my life? What's God's plan for my life? What does he want me to do? It's times when you have to make decisions and you're like, I don't feel qualified for this level of decision-making and I don't want to screw things up. God, what's your plan? What's your will? We do this annual spiritual survey at our church. We do it every single year and we ask a series of questions to collect data so that we can make strategic decisions about ministry in the city and in this region. But one of the questions that we ask every year and sometimes periodically throughout the year is like, hey, church, if there, were, if there was one topic or, or two or three topics that you would want to hear us speak from the scriptures regarding, what would that be? By, by a long margin, the number one box that gets checked off on that survey is this. How do I know what God's will is for my life? More than finances, more than family, more than any of, and we know that those things need a lot of help, right? But the number one thing that people want to know is what is God's will? What is God's plan 
for my life. I want to know God's voice. Like, how do I know so that he can guide me and he can direct me? Now, here's the thing that I do know. This is true as well. Write this down. Our life is the sum total of the decisions that we make. A lot of times we want to blame other things and other people and other reasons and other circumstances. And while sometimes those are considerations with certain areas of our life and they do shift and shape uh, the landscape of our life. But what I've discovered is that you and I, our life today, where we stand today, we are the sum total of the decisions, the good or the bad decisions that we've made in our life. And because of that, many people, they're surrounded with this life filled with regret about certain decisions that they made in their past. That is that if, if you and I, with the collective wisdom that we have now, what we know now and all the different uh, pieces of information that we know now, if we could go back in time to 97, to 2003, to 2010, we would make decisions differently because we don't like the regret that we feel today. That's true of many of us in the room today. If your life was a book, you would go back to maybe certain pages and you'd like to just completely remove those. From the, some of you are like me. You're like, I got chapters, homie. I got chapters. <laughs> I want to remove those things. Here's what I know about God. God does not want you living with a mound of regret in your life. In your marriage, in your finances, with your family, in your business, he does not want you and I carrying around a load of regret because of the poor decisions that we've made in our life. God wants to be involved. God wants to guide you. Listen to me. God is not some, some disconnected deity out there. God is a Psalm 23 good shepherd that wants to lead us and guide us along peaceful streams. He wants to make a table for you in the presence of your enemies. This is the God that you and I serve. We serve a good shepherd and he delights in revealing to you what it is that he wants you to do. May I even submit to you this idea that God wants you to know what he wants you to do more than you even want to know it. You know why? Because on the other side of you living out his will is an abundant life. It's a blessed life. It's a flourishing life. It's a life filled with such grace and such rhythms of mercy. And it's the life you always wanted. It's the, it's the you that you really want to be. It's the marriage that you've prayed about and dreamed about. And he wants to guide you in that. He wants to direct you. He's not disconnected from you. He loves you. He is for you. He is with you. And John 15 says that he wants you to recognize his voice and follow him. That is the God that we serve. Now, um, here's the tension. Wouldn't it be nice if, if every time you had to make a decision, you could just be like, pause, God, what's up? And it was just like loud and clear. Wouldn't that be nice? You got to make the business deal. God, you're a better businessman than I am. What do you want to do? It, wouldn't it be so nice when you got to make decisions? buy the car, move to this place, whatever. God speak. You know what? God wants to do that. And we see it throughout his word. But there's a setup for you and I to get clarity like that. There is a setup because God doesn't just give clarity and speak to people that are just kind of, you know, all over the place and not taking it seriously. Hebrews 11 says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Diligence is I'm taking this serious. I'm not playing games. This isn't just a Sunday thing. This is my life. I'm going to follow you, God. God speaks to people like that. God wants to do that in your life and my life. Now, let's break down the will of God for just a moment. When you look at Scripture, Genesis to Revelations, you see God's will dropped into a context, in three different contexts to be specific, or three different categories. And I'm going to break them down. But the first one is this. Write this down. The providential will of God. Some of you grew up in churches that maybe call it the sovereign will of God. But we'll use this language. The providential will of God. The moral will of God. 
and the personal will of God. We're going to get to the personal in just a few minutes. But first, we have to understand the backdrop of the providential will of God and the moral will of God. Here's what the providential will of God is. The providential will of God refers to those things God is going to do regardless. It's not contingent upon your prayers or your obedience, my prayers or my obedience. It's not contingent upon the political structure that is is operating in America. None of those things matter. God's providential will, these are things that he is already determined. I'm gonna do this stuff whether anyone likes it or not because I am sovereign, I am God, you are not, I am doing these things, this is my will. I wanna show it to you in scripture. Galatians chapter four says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption through sonship. In other words, God was going to send Jesus no matter what. This was his will, his providential will. This was his plan. This is what he was gonna, going to do. No one could stop him. No one could thwart that plan. This was the will of God, the providential will of God. Here's another one. Romans 2, verse 16. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming, God says. It's coming. Like You, you don't have to schedule it. You don't have to, you can't stop it. You can't postpone it. You can't delay it. The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Now, that's a, that's a tough scripture right there. But you know, he's saying, he's like, I'm going to judge every person. There will come a day, one day. Now, I'm just telling you, it's already set. There's coming a day where I'm going to judge not your Insta life, <laughs> not your public, I'm, I'm going to, your secret thoughts, your secret life, the things that no one else knows about you. Those, I'm going to judge all of you, every part of you. He says, that day is coming. No one can stop it. No one can thwart that. That day is coming. That's the providential will of God. Now, why why is that important? Here's why. Because God uses men and women to accomplish his providential will. And the more we're familiar with that and we know what he's up to in the earth today, we can position ourselves in his will so that when he's ready to, to do something, we're positioned, we're ready, and we can be a part. Think about this. How unreal that we can be a part of God's plan in the earth today. And this is God's providential will. Think about this. Here's just a few more examples for you. I won't read all the text to you, but it is the providential will of God for Christ to return. It is the providential will of God to, it was the providential will of God to raise up the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Listen, even though it doesn't hinge on our decisions, it's really important that we understand it because God, again, God uses men and women to accomplish his will. Mary, I'm going to send my son. No one can stop me. He will be the savior of the world. You want to be a part? Yes. Abraham, I'm going to raise up a chosen people to become a nation that, it will be, that I will bless and the world will be blessed through it. No one can stop me. No one can change my mind. And I want you to be a part of it. See, this is the providential will of God. Here's another one. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not stop me. Do you want to be a part of it? This is the providential will of God. There's things that God's going to do no matter what. You've got to understand this backdrop before you ever get to the personal will of God. Here's the second one. Oh, before I give you the second one, let me give you this practical thing. How do you know the providential will of God? It's very easy. Watch, watch. Lean in. Read the Bible. Do that. <laughs> or just read the Bible. Just cover to cover. I would encourage you, if you've never done this before, commit to the one-year Bible. Commit to spending every day in God's word, even, the, even Leviticus people, like all of it, like... <laughs> Hey, we all know that they got some of those chapters in there. You're like, what in the world? Just commit, plow through, be faithful. Here's what's amazing is that the treasures of God are found not because you dig deeper, but because you dig daily. Spend time, spend time. Somebody say, say say that again, pastor. The treasures of God, you can say the revelations of God are found not just because you dig deeper, but because you dig daily. 
daily. I'm getting in the word and the word's getting in me and now I'm becoming familiar. Oh my gosh, this is what God has done. This is what he is doing. This is what he is going to do. This isn't just what he does. This is how he does it. This is why he does it. All of a sudden, his, his mind becomes your mind. His heart becomes your heart. His intuition becomes your intuition. You are being transformed because you're in the word of God. It's imperative. It's not just like some, some little, some little, you know, like I'm ticking off the box. I read, I did my devotions today. Did my quiet time. No, no, no. This is, this is transformative. God is changing you and he's positioning you. The more you know his providential will, you can be used by him in it. This is unbelievable, church. If you believe it, can you say amen? amen. But then there's a second one, the moral will of God. Somebody say moral will of God. Oh, the moral will of God refers to the do's and don'ts God has already commanded in Scripture. In other words, you don't have to say, Lord, is it your will for me um, to lie in order to close this business deal? You don't even have to pray about that one. It's already clear in Scripture. God, you know, it's really the housing situation here. It's very expensive. Been dating this girl for five years. I mean, you know, I think we're supposed to get married. Don't know for sure, but I think maybe it's your will for us to move in together, save some money. We want to be good stewards, Lord. Um, and no, 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 God's word's very clear. It's really clear. Ah, God, you know, I think I should maybe, you know, sleep with this person just to make sure we're sexually competitive before we get married. I think that's kind of your will. God's already clear. You know, I mean, listen, you, I know what we say. We say to God, like, God, I wouldn't buy a car unless I tried to test drove it first. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, we, the reasoning that we have at times can be so ridiculous, but God's more will, it's so clear. It's lined out in scripture. Look at this, let me show you. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. In other words, part of God's will for your life and my life is to live with integrity and to live morally intact, not so that we can become our functioning savior by saying, look how morally put together I am, but so that we can live a life that looks like Jesus to a broken world around us. Because you and I, listen, you and I, we're representatives of Christ in Walnut Creek and in this region in the Bay Area. Re represent, what does it mean? Represent. In the Bay Area, the reason why the 4% you talked about is there's been a bad representation or a bad presentation of Jesus to this dark, broken place. And now you and I, when we live a morally intact life and we live with the character and conduct of Jesus, we are re-presenting Jesus to this region. That's the moral will of God. <laughs> Preaching better than you shouting. Hey, it's so Pentecostal. Why do we say that? First Peter chapter two says this, look, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Listen, this plays out so well when it comes to the, the boss that you have. But Jason, you don't understand. He's such a jerk. You know what? Respect is earned, but honor is given. And sometimes God will place you under someone you may not respect, but he calls you to honor them. That's his moral will for your life. Doesn't matter if you agree with everything. If, if, they're, if they're over you and you're under them, Scripture says God's moral will is for you to honor them and for you to submit. There's safety in submission. There's blessing in submission. This is what God's word calls us to. Part of God's will for your life and my life is that we remain morally pure, that we live under, under authority. There, and that's just two examples. It's all throughout scripture. But here's why I'm telling you this, because this is a setup for the third one. Because you and I, you know, we, we, can, look at, we can look at the moral will and be like, okay, I get it. Do's and don'ts of scripture, providential. I get it, I get it, I get it. But the personal will of God, this is where you and I live every day. And some of you are like, okay, um, 
I got to make a decision right now. I get the whole read your Bible, know the providential will of God, know the moral will of God, but I need to make a decision right now. Should we move there? Should we buy this? Should we do this? Should we have kids? Should we wait? I don't have time to just like go digging through scripture. I need to know right now. I need to know right now because that's the personal will. This refers to the personal decisions of your life, those plans that you have to make. Should I buy this car, take this job, move to this city, date this guy? Probably not. Marry this girl, (laughs) have kids start the business, sell the business, become a small group leader, start giving at this church, stop just attending every once in a while, make this church family my home. That's God's will. I'm just telling you that right now. Just go ahead. But here's, here's where we ask this question. God, what should I do? This is where we live. This is where we live. The apostle Paul said it like this. First Corinthians chapter one, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what is he saying? He understands that there is a personal call on his life God has a plan for his life personally, and it's to be a minister of the gospel, to be an apostle. God has a specific assignment that he's anointed me for. See, listen to me. We get opportunities and assignments confused. God doesn't anoint us for opportunity, opportunities. He anoints us for assignments. Yeah. And Paul says, I have been anointed, called by God for a, for a specific assignment. That's God's personal will for my life. First Peter 4, look at this one. Here's another one about the personal will of God. So then, those who suffer according to God's will... Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Suffer according to God's will? He said they should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, in this verse, in this context, it talks about God's personal will for these people was for them to suffer for the cause of Jesus. I personally pray that that's not God's will for my life. (laughs) Amen. But the reality is, is that that is true for some people. The greatest, one of the greatest lies in the church, just a terrible little lie, is that the safest place to be is in God's will. That's just not true. Not for these people. Here's the thing. Here's why I'm telling you all this. Sounds heavy, but this is, this is so good. You got to get this. Here, here, here's a big point I'm trying to make, is that the more familiar you are with God's providential will, those things that he's going to do no matter what, no one can stop him, the more familiar you are with the providential will of God, and the more surrendered you are to the moral will of God, the easier it is to discern or to discover the personal will of God. See, the more you know what God has already revealed in his word, the revealed will of God is the providential and the moral will of God. The more surrendered and obedient and familiar you are with that, then it positions you into this place where when it's time for you to make a personal decision, you now have a point of reference. It's not subjective, it's just what you feel. It's now, God, I already know how you work. I know your character. I know your vision for, the, for, for humanity. I know your standards of, 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 of scripture. I know the do's and don'ts. I know the imperatives. I know all those things. And I'm gonna be surrendered to that. And that positions you to be able to hear the voice of God more clearly. Let me show you this. Tyler, why don't you hop over here with me real quick. Um, this is, this is uh, I'm not a builder. You're a builder? You, you ever build anything? No, okay, least handy person ever. Very handsome though. Not handy, but handsome. It's a new cultural phrase here. We're not handy, we're handsome. Um, okay, here's what this is. Here's what this is. I, I've built a few houses, so I know a little bit about this, but not a whole lot. This is called a plumb line and a plumb bob. This line here is the plumb line. This is the plumb bob. Now, this is, this is a tool that's used in building. Uh, contractors use this when they're building houses. Some of you may be a contractor here. Mason, masonry guys, they, like, they'll use this uh, for laying bricks. Here's, here's why they use this. Because whenever a contractor is building something, They understand that they have a limited perspective, and when they're about to, let's say a mason, they're about to lay a brick, they don't just go, this feels right. 
this looks like it's right. This looks like I'm in a straight line. They don't do that. They, well, here's what they do. They get an objective standard by which they begin to make decisions on what they're building. So, so this plumb bob weighs about 10 ounces. And when you hold it down like that, it creates a perfectly vertical line. And that line becomes the standard. So when a contractor's about to build a wall, they don't just like, oh, it looks right. Now, I have a house built in 1927. I think that's what they did. It's like, it's like. But a, a good contractor doesn't go, with, doesn't go with what feels right. They get an objective standard. And they go, if this is over the line, based on that line, not based on culture, not based on proclivity, not based on my preference, but there is a standard that has been created. Here's, here's what the Bible calls itself the plumb line. The Bible actually defines itself through the, throughout the Old Testament as, as <laughs> it's a workout. You didn't know you were working out today. It's a plumb line. You know what this, you know what creates the plumb line for you and I? The providential and the moral will of God. So when we have to make a personal decision, we go, I don't know, this feels right, but there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death, Proverbs says. So it seems right, it feels right, but what does God think? Uh, what about his, his providential will, his moral will? Where That becomes the standard by which you make decisions. We don't bend God's word to fit our life. We bend our life to fit God's word. That's what we do. That's the standard. Thank you so much. Your biceps are starting to shake over here. Come on. Clap your hands for pastor. <laughs> it's so funny. Now, let me give it to you. In, let me give it to you in like a, a con, like a actual play-by-play -play illustration. I, I'm a renter. I'm renting a house. I want to buy a house. It's crazy in San Francisco to think about buying a house. <clears throat> Some of you know what I'm saying. Amen. <laughs> but watch this. Here's here's what personal decision I got to make. Watch. Just let's just play out a scenario. Imagine this is true. If an opportunity comes up for me to purchase a house in San Francisco, and I have I have an opportunity to purchase it at a low Low, uh, a low cost, and I'll instantly move in with tons of equity. So it's a great opportunity. It's a great deal, great opportunity. But here's what, let's just imagine it goes like this. For me to buy this house, I would have to drain all of my savings. I'd have to go on a strict budget for three years and stop being generous to other people, push pause on my giving through the local church to advance God's kingdom, pause on putting God first through tithing through my offerings, even though it would be just a three-year sacrifice, a three-year push-pause, and then I could unpa unpause my generosity and start being generous to other people, and now I'm going to have triple the amount of equity. It's going to position my family better. The decision is easy. It's a no. It's a no. You know why? This is what I wrote down. Because I know the providential will of God. God is building his church and redeeming and rescuing lost, broken people bringing them back to himself. That is what he is doing. He's always been doing that. I also know his moral will. His moral will, oh, listen to this, his moral will is for me, Jason Laird and our family, to live with open hands generously, not living self-centered just about our own comforts in life. And so his personal will becomes very clear. It's a good deal. We could, we could make a lot of money. It would really position us and set us up well, but we're not gonna step over the plumb line. If buying the house causes me to break the plumb line, then the answer is no. Here's, here's why. The more familiar we are with the providential will of God, right? the more surrendered and obedient we are to the moral will of God, the easier it is to discern the personal will of a God for our life. And this, this is why the sage says this. I'm going to hurry and wrap up. Proverbs 3, he says, watch, 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with everything, with your finances, with your family, with your sexuality, with your marriage, with your business, with school. With Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And every decision you got to make, seek his will. And look, that's the setup. And if you're surrendered to him and you're trusting him with everything and, and, and you're saying, God, I just want your best and your will, not my will, but your will be done. The more you live your life like this, here's what he says, to that type of person, I'm gonna make their path so straight. I'm gonna make their, their path so clear. I'm gonna show them exactly what it is that I want them to do. Here's the explanation for you, it's this. In other words, God promises to the person that trusts him with all their heart, and that is surrendered in all of their ways, the known will of God. He says, I promise, I'm gonna show you when you gotta make the decision about the business, when you gotta make the decision in your marriage, when you gotta make the decision about your kids, if you're already positioned with a surrendered heart and with a yes, I'm gonna speak to you. You see, here's why. Because God does not speak to us for our consideration, but for our participation. But what you and I want oftentimes, this is what we oftentimes want, we, we, we have a bunch of options in front of us and we say, God, hey, if you were me, can, I, can you be a consultant here? What would you do? I want, I want another option, your option for a consideration. And God's like, that's not how I work. I don't work like that. I speak to surrendered people. I speak to people that they already know my will in all these areas and they've already obeyed me and they're surrendered in these areas. That's the type of people that I speak to. You know what's so interesting? This is random, but I was thinking about this during worship. Have you ever met those people who are like, man, I wish I could be generous. I wish I could just, just, just buy my, my auntie a house. I wish I could buy my brother a car. I would, I would just, I would do this. I would do, that sounded so Southern, auntie. I'm from Louisiana originally. <laughs> but you know what? Those people that are like, if I won the lottery, I would be so generous. And I'm like, if you're not generous now, you'll never be generous then. Isn't that true? In the same way, in the same way, people are like, if God would just tell me, I, I, would, I would surrender. It's lip service if in all these other areas we have not been surrendered. That, that, that girl he told you break up with, somebody getting a revelation right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Call it off. Break up. You know, begin to give, begin to contribute. That area where you've been shady in your business deals, He's already spoken and revealed his will. And we're over here saying, speak, God. I got a big decision to make. And he's like, over there, over there. If I could sum this up in one big idea, this is what it would be right here. Write this down. This is, this is good. Surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Surrender to the known will of God. Those things you already know. The thing he spoke to you about two years ago, you're still being disobedient in. The, the, the thing that you know what his word says and yet you fight it and resist it. That relationship that needs to be reconciled and restored, but you're holding on to resentment. Those areas, I've already revealed my will. God says, if you would just be obedient. Why? Obedience is better than sacrifice, he says. Obedience is better than you just praying some prayer. He's like, you, you think you need to fast for 40 days to hear my voice? No, no, no. Just say yes and do what I told you to do two years ago. Y'all, I don't know I'm preaching kind of hard, but this is kind of to myself too. So uh, anyway, 
If it doesn't preach to me, it probably won't preach to you. Surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he, he will speak. He will guide you. He will direct you. He does not speak to us for our consideration, for our participation. As the band comes up, let me share this with you. I, um, I had years where I was so angry at my father, so resentful towards my father. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a minister. and For some reason, he just got off track when I was in high school. And he was a good man, but he had a lot of issues. And what I discovered is if you don't deal with your issues, eventually your issues will deal with you. And the pressures of life and ministry begin to just turn the heat up in his life and all the stuff started coming up. It's what life does to us. And he became verbally abusive and physically abusive and all those things. Ended up having multiple affairs. My family was completely broken. At 15 years old, I was completely wounded and hurt and disappointed and disillusioned. My dad left our family and my mom lived in a battered women's shelter for a bit. I lived with my high school football coach and I was so confused, so broken. Began to pursue so many different things to medicate the pain of my own life and substance abuse and different things like that. And about 18 years old, I gave my life to Jesus, surrendered my life to Jesus. And, and, and he, God started speaking to me in the maturation process as I began to study God's word. He began to show me what his character was like. He began to show me his will for humanity and how he's a reconciling God and a God of grace and a God of mercy and that he wants our relationships to be restored and that we're not just called to be peacekeepers, but we're called to be peacemakers. And somewhere in the journey, God revealed through his word, his moral will in Ephesians chapter four that it was God's will for me to forgive my dad. So I want you to forgive just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you, Ephesians four says. I began to wrestle with it and I just thought, but, but, but God, you, you don't know. You don't know what my dad's done to me. You don't know what he's done to our family. He, sh he should pay for what he's done. You see, forgiveness is canceling a debt. And, and when someone hurts us, offends us, or wounds us, we feel as though they've accrued a debt and now that's why we call it payback. His dad's gonna pay for this. I'm not gonna talk to him. I'm gonna be, we're gonna be silent and estranged. For the next few years, five, six, seven years, I didn't talk to my dad. But the more and more I got to know God's word, the more and more he began to speak to that place of my life. Actually, he was flying back from, from a country and in that, that flight home, I read Ephesians 4 again. God brought it back to me. It's like he won't stop screaming at me with this verse. He's like, hey, remember this? Remember this one, Jason? Forgive, just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. This time he says, forgive just as, just as, just as, just as long as he never does it again, just as, just as, no, 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 forgive just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. How is that? Freely, finally, fully forgive. Jason, you can't forgive because you have the wrong point of reference. You keep focusing on what your earthly father has done, but what about what your heavenly father has done? Forgive, forgive. I knew, not loud and clear, God was calling me through his revealed word, his revealed will to forgive my dad.
but I still fought it. And you know what happened? God's voice became so far off and faint and I couldn't hear him and I had to make personal decisions. And I'm like, God's not speaking. And the reason, reason why is because I wasn't surrendered. Finally, I felt like God said, you've got a glass ceiling over your head. If you want to break that thing, be surrendered in what I've already told you. Set up a meeting with my dad and we had a two hour conversation. First time we talked from seven years. God told me exactly what to say to him. I looked at my dad, I said, dad, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. Debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. He starts crying, I'm crying. It was a sacred space and moment and the glass over my head where I hadn't been able to hear from God and his voice seemed so far away. It was like it completely shattered. You know why? Because when we release grace, grace releases us. And I surrendered to the known will of God and all of a sudden, it's like God's voice started getting so clear again. Why? Why? Because surrender to the known will of God, it paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Amen, church. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.